Oh God in heaven, help us to believe your word. I think at times the power of our comforts are very strong and what we want to do is so much greater than what you command us to do. So Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified in our time together and that you would be praised. May we believe it to the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Give me a second. Full charge. It's a good thing sometimes it has a meter on it. Well, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. And I want you to, by raise of hands, who has heard of Zoom? Raise your hand if you know of Zoom. Okay, now keep your hand up if you thought Zoom was like zooming in and out. Everyone just put their hands down. You know this. Okay, so what's, what's interesting, of course, is Zoom was a company only started in... 2011, April 2011, they had their first product in April or around April 2012. Um, Most of us had no idea what Zoom was before January or at January 2020, right? We just didn't know. So my my father's an architect and they used it to have conference calls with people all over the world for different projects. The master's seminary where I went to school, they used it for classes, but the day-to-day person had no idea. And now even the most technologically illiterate person has it on their smartphones, right? And are using it with frequency. And they've asked what caused that, of course, but the fact that we were all had to be isolated from each other. And Zoom had a lot of really good publication. Like every news channel was telling you how to use Zoom, right? Every grandchild was instructing their grandparent in how to use Zoom. Every family had a family gathering via Zoom at some point. Zoom became completely across the board used and it replaced like all the ones that went before it skype yahoo um cisco had a version of it everything gone and zoom reigned supreme now the internet has brought us many blessings like telephones before it and the telegraph and even the written page do you believe there was a time before there was the written page that we could write on. Technology has been blessings. But I want to try and convince us during this time together, and you guys are not necessarily the ones who need to hear this, but I want us to be convinced that Zoom church is not enough. That Zoom ministry is not enough. Though it has been a great blessing, and I'll get there, it's not enough. Now, let me remind you how personal the book of 1 Thessalonians is. 1 Thessalonians... Is a church written to the church in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians is one of the healthiest church that is growing spiritually very well, which is actually shocking, as we'll see, because they were a baby church who didn't have all the tender care that they needed. They had a lot of great spiritual fruit. So in chapter one, Paul was like, God has clearly elected you. This is a work of God that no one else can boast about. And Paul, in chapter two, explained how he ministered to them like a father and like a mother, caring for them so well. He brought them the truth and they took the truth and accepted it as the very word of God. Not just the word of Paul or the missionaries, but the word of God. They believed. But we've also talked about the fact how Paul had to flee Thessalonica. 
the Jews at that time were following him around, the Jewish leaders. And we talked about how he's not referring to just the Jews as a whole ethnic group, but specific people who are fighting against other Jewish people who are Christians, like himself. And they stirred up a rabble of Jews and Gentiles to drive him out of the city. And he literally had to flee for his life and cut off from this ministry that he loved with his people. And we talked about how some have taken this lack of love. Possibly some in Thessalonica took this lack of Paul being there as a lack of love. Well, Paul doesn't really care about us because he's not here with us. And Paul writes this letter to express his love and also to complete the mission he had planned for them. Now, this also teaches us that the theology of meeting requires us to be in person. Church requires us to be in person. And I want to help you be able to tell others that we as Christians need to meet in the same place. Now, hint, a little look ahead. If you go right before it, right, right afterwards in chapter 3, in your Bible, it might actually even continue on in the same section. Paul is going to talk about how he used a piece of technology, which at that time was a runner, to send a message. We're reading this message. That was technology at the time. So next time we'll get into the fact that why technology actually can be used for God's glory. But we're going to say how as a church we still need the gathering. Now if you're taking notes, can oh I'll even put this up here so you can see a, a slide as we go along. If you're taking notes and you want to follow along, you can see we're going to have three reasons we are compelled to have church face to face. Right along the top line, there's a little space there. Three reasons we are compelled to have church face to face, in person, as Paul talks about here. Read along with me, verses 17 through 20. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Again, three reasons we are compelled to have church face to face. The first reason that we are compelled to have church face to face is in verse 17 is that the righteous love for others compels us. Verse 17 through 18, righteous love of others compels us to be with them. Paul said, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. Paul knew, as we talked about, his fatherly relationship with the church, and it was very strong. And there are few pains as bad as some of you know, or you know people who do, the pain of being abandoned by your parents. It's just excruciating. They didn't really love me. And Paul starts with this phrase, even, but brothers, to explain that they have this relationship, that he is their family, that he loves them. But he says, 
We were taken away from you, torn away. Now, you'll notice in your Bible, he doesn't say I, he says we. This is important because Paul was not a one-man show, ever. He was not their father. They were the spiritual fathers. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they gave this experience. Unlike our modern American, just, we're obsessed with celebrity and having that one individual. And that happens in churches too, where it's just like, oh, the pastor. I want the senior pastor to be the one who does this or that in me because I want that connection. Where in Paul's mind, in the biblical world, it was all the spiritual leaders worked together. They all were taken away. The missionaries torn away from the church. A, a wooden translation of this phrase is actually orphaned for an hour. This is a good phrase because it's, it's the idea like a, a child who's orphaned from their parents because of persecution in the midst of war, difficulties, they're torn apart. That's the idea he's giving out. We were torn apart, kicking and screaming and crying as we were sent away. But look down your Bibles. He says, in person, not in heart. Where was Paul's heart this whole time? With them. Even as he was not. It was their great desire to return. They wanted to. With, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Now that phrase, with great desire, doesn't come as strong enough in English. This is like awkward to say because it's the Greek, Greek word epimathia, which means lust in translated in many places. Or, or it's translated the deep desire a husband has for his wife. Like this is like awkward to talk about how much he wanted to be with them. As C.S. Lewis rightly said, God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Paul had a strong love and desire. That's the kind of desire we should have. And because they had that desire, they made every effort to return to be with them. Paul emphasizes, again, this is, when you try and translate it, it comes out awkwardly, but they put a little dash in there in, in your Bibles, perhaps. He says, I, Paul, again and again like he's, he's just like over and over i tried to get back to you i so wanted to be with you but he's not able to a number of commentators point out well, why is paul saying this except to respond to an objection that little rumor that's going around the thessalonian church saying paul doesn't really care <coughs> if paul loved us he would be here and paul's saying i tried and i tried even in the midst of this time, Paul, as we see in chapter 3, uses the most high-tech system of the time, a messenger with a letter, to go and send them. We, we both He sends Timothy, Timothy comes back, and then he sends him again with this letter in tow, and he's able to communicate remotely, but he still wants to be with them. Go to chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says... After hearing about them, 
We pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. You get that? Love compels churches to get together in person. And and we know that our means of internet communication or telephone calls or letter writing is working when it draws us closer together, when we want to see each other face to face. Let me give an example. Because as many of you heard, and we've been praying for it, my sister-in-law, Liz's sister, had breast cancer um, right in the middle of all the 2020 craziness um, and had to work through with COVID restrictions, going to the hospital and getting her chemotherapy and all the difficulty to that. And as many of you have experienced, it becomes really hard to communicate with people when you're going through all that difficulty. And so my sister-in-law, LaVon, started doing this thing where they left each other video messages. So they would just all get on their little device, talk to each other. LaVon would give her update. The other sister started to give their updates. And Liz said, like, really, for a lot of ways, this just encouraged their relationship because they're just sharing stuff, what's happening in their days. They're constantly talking and they get to see each other. But is that a replacement? No. My wife, Liz, will testify that one of the most difficult things about having her tooth removed just a few weeks ago was the fact that she had every intention to go up to Alaska to be with her sisters and to serve her sister after her surgery. And it is an ache in her soul to this day that she did not get to be with her because the technology created greater desire to be in person again. It just reminds us of what we're missing. And this is what Paul is feeling. And this is what we should feel when the church is separated from each other. I want us to believe in the in-person gathering of church. Well, Paul, throughout the Bible, uses phrases like in 1 Corinthians eleven eight says, when you come together as a church. A church is when it's together. And the whole church comes together. 1 Corinthians 14, 23. And I know I've heard a number of people, you've probably heard as well, who talk about how, like, ah, Sunday morning, I just spend all Sunday in church. I listen to your guys' live stream, then I listen to this other live stream, then I turn on Andy Stanley on the television, and then I listen to this person's, and it's great. But that isn't church. That is watching something. And there are roughly... 40 one another commands in the Bible that require personal relationship and often in-person relationship. It's the difference between watching a baseball game and being on the field. You think about like team members. When team members even get injured, you know where they sit the whole time? In the dugout next to the field. Even if they can't, they're, they're there. And God has given each member of the church, each member of ICC, a gift that is supposed to be used in the one anothering to build up this church. So much ministry happens. You, you know this. When the pastor says, amen, and we get up and we turn to one another and you talk. You know what happened when we were on Zoom? You clicked end or on live stream. And again, if anyone's listening to this recording, I totally understand. But you hit end and, and it's done. But the comments... Asking someone how they're doing, 
praying for them, encouraging them. Or you start to talk to someone, you're like, hey, you're new here. You don't, you don't know about Jesus, do you? Let me share with Jesus who you are. And it could be said as well, as some people will do, well, I just get together with some friends. I just have, like, why do I need to come to church when I can just get together with some other Christian friends? But the problem is, friends tend to be those people who are just like you. We, we are friends with people who, are, who do the same things we do, who are in the same life stage. But even look around you right now, back and forth, just left and right, um, except Chen's. Okay, you can look across, right? Like, like the people around you, sorry, you guys are there together all the time. But we're from different ethnicities, different ages, different family structures, different socioeconomic statuses, Like, the differences that exist even in this small Sunday night gathering change. And they bring us greater opportunity for ministry and greater opportunity to understand God from a different perspective. See, I have much to learn from the Chen brothers. I have much to learn from Inez. I have much to learn from many of you as we talk about what it means to follow God. And perhaps, maybe most importantly... If the church is not gathered, the church cannot practice the church's ordinances. Yes, you can hear and you can watch church. You can hear a sermon. But the Great Commission commands us to baptize. And I don't care how HD your monitor is, it cannot baptize you. Right? (laughs) And, as Pastor Yuri has brought out repeatedly, we cannot share a communion plate together. You might be able to You know, hey, um, I'm just going to take bread the same time you're taking bread. But that's not coming from the shared communion. That's not union. It's not together. Love for others should drive us to say we want to be together, to minister together, as Paul did. And if we love the way that God wants us to love, our love will include meeting together at the church's gathering. But there's someone who doesn't want us meeting, right? The second point is we are compelled to meet together because resisting Satan compels us. Resisting Satan compels us. 18, second part of it, right after that dash, but Satan hindered us. You know who this is. He's the devil. Beelzebub. Abdom. Abdon, Abdonin. Now my mind is tongue-tied. What? Abaddon. Abaddon. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes it just, yeah, gets there. He is the spirit behind the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and went to Eve and said, don't you want to be like God? And he is so opposed to God, he fights God in the end. If you will, turn to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, verse 7 through 10. After being sealed in the pit for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 7 through 10. We have the millennium kingdom, paradise on earth. And when the thousand years are ended, 
Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gag and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, and they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. You get the idea of Satan, right? He is bound for a thousand years, released. And what is the first thing he does? Trying to defeat the guy who had him bound for a thousand years. And Satan's no fool. He knows what the Bible says. But he still is going to try and fight against God. And here, he is the prince of the power of the air. He fights for his control, even when he's not really in control. And in some way, he's preventing Paul from getting where he wants to be. The verb here is translated, mean, translated stopped or prevented, literally is cut into. It has the idea of cutting apart a road to make it um, impassable. So you're like, I can't get through it because it's been cut apart and things have been ruined. And we're not told exactly what Satan did to Paul. But we do know in chapter 3, verse 2, that Paul was able to send Timothy, his traveling companion. So more likely, it had something to do with Paul himself. Maybe physical ailments like the thorn in the flesh that he was given by Satan perhaps was so strong he could not travel. We don't know. But Paul knows through maybe the revelation of God that it was Satan And we have to realize, at the same time, that it's not always Satan who prevents us from doing what we want to do. We can't blame him for every hiccup in our travel plans. I know we were just praying for travel mercies. We can't just like, oh, okay, Satan, let's just, it's all Satan's fault. Because, for example, in Acts 16, verse 6, the Holy Spirit prevents Paul from traveling. Acts 16, verse 6. And when they went through the region of fight. Um, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Acts 16.6, the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to Asia. Not every problem is from Satan, and he cannot stop God's plan. The book of Job brings that out. Like it, it, God is, just has Job on a, or God has Satan on a leash when he's attacking Job, right? But we've got to ask the question, why? was Satan trying to prevent Paul from being face-to-face. Because clearly, Timothy is still able to go. This letter is still able to go. What would have been special about Paul's ministry? Now, we know what, by this what Paul wanted to do, what he was planning to do. Chapter 3, verse 10. We already read it. So we want to see you face-to-face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Well, Paul quickly left the Thessalonian church. He was driven out before he was able to give them a complete instruction as he planned. So while they were Christians, they needed discipleship. While they were godly, we see all, their, like, all the cities around them are saying what great Christians they are. They still needed discipleship. And that needed to happen in person. Somehow, Paul's presence, his lived out discipleship, would be more impactful than even 
the written word of God being sent to them in letter. They needed to see Paul in action. In chapter 4, we see one particular area they struggle on is the issue of eschatology. They, they have problems. They're, they're confused about what the coming of Christ would look like, and, and it's causing much angst and problems with them. They were Christians, but they needed to grow. Satan knew that the in-person example of Paul would be powerful, and so he fought to keep Paul away. You get that? Satan is real, and he uses separation and darkness to get his hooks into people. Now, I, I think we can all say witches are plainly demonic, right? Like, that, that's probably pretty obvious. But did you know that according to a 2021 OC Register article, the Golden State is actually home to six of the top ten best places to be a witch in the United States of America? Garden Grove is considered a better place to be a witch than New Orleans, Louisiana. The demonic is out there. Satan is real. And he's struggle. But perhaps one area that's even more dangerous than being a, a, you know, the best place that you can be a witch is the darkness of the internet. We hear it right now. Um, we've, it's in the news a lot, but the issue of transgender philosophy, a demonic view that you can be different than the body gave, gave you, has spread like just wildfire on the internet. And we've heard a lot about from people, from friends, who spend people time on the internet. And I was reading an article, a really good article in World Magazine. World Magazine does a great job of explaining just things that are happening in the world from a biblical worldview. And they were doing this interview with this young lady who was detransitioning. She had tried to become a man in her teenage years and now has realized that one, she is not, and two, she needs to follow God's plan for her life. She's become a Christian. And they were asked her, what would have helped you as a teenager? What would have made a difference? Her response was, having a loving, trusting relationship with an adult who would have steered her towards the value of, toward her, who would have steer, steered her toward valuing her female body. She told me parents play a critical role in helping their children cultivate life outside of the internet. One of the biggest problems, she said, was the emphasis on screens and devices create a fake reality in which young people don't form connections to their bodies and to nature. They exist in a fantasy world, and so what's more, one more fantasy to change than myself? Again, we'll get there next time, the benefits of technology and the benefits of the internet and how the gospel is able to go out. But it reminds us something very important about the powerful activity of presence. Being physically present and in the physical world around us reminds us to submit to God's physical designs for us. Satan doesn't want that. And you can resist Satan. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But notice, for example, in Paul's case, does fleeing mean he got his way instantly? No. Sometimes that resisting 
is a prolonged time. Maybe hard. So hard. But we know we will win. We know we will have victory. Isn't that the blessing? And so we have to believe, maybe perhaps the first application of this is believe that the devil and demons are real. And they're fighting against you. And you know what they don't want? This. Right? I, I remember even um, there was an accident right out here on the freeway. Or sorry, on the freeway on, the, on Sand Canyon. People were getting off the freeway, smashing each other. I was talking with one of the cops. And, and he was just like, oh, man, I wish more people were going to churches like yours. Because like this is just, I just know, like there's just so much darkness out there. And he recognized just the need that, that God is doing something different in churches. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He, he, he's after us. We've got to be aware of that. And the many lies that come up, and he's making plans against us. Ephesians 6, 11, the armor of God passage says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil there are plans don't and it's not a conspiracy when you know for sure satan had plans for covid19 and the effect on the world and the churches he had plans that's not a conspiracy that's just a fact and demons try and trick us second corinthians 11 verse 14 satan disguises himself as an angel of light second corinthians 11 14 the the doctrines of demons tell you how great you are. They tickle your ear. They don't sound bad. And they rule this world. Satan rules this world. 1 John 5.19 The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But you know what? Here, and in Ephesians, Paul doesn't tell us to focus on demons, does he? Like, the epistles speak a lot about fighting spiritual battles. You even talk about, even here he's talking about this, this battle he's having with Satan. And if there was a place to talk about casting out demons, we would have done in the book of Ephesus, right? Like, Ephesus is talking about the armor of God. He would have said, all right, take out the sword of the Spirit and Satan, Satan, I bind you. Or he would have said here, you know, Satan opposed me and hindered us and I bound him and came to you. But he doesn't say that, does he? He gives the command just to resist, to say no. Our instruction when it comes to the real reality, the true fact of demonic influence is to preach the gospel, to preach the power of Christ, that Jesus died on a cross, destroying the power of the devil, that though he, we deserve the death that he died, we get his righteousness. If we would trust him by faith, it's not us who win, it's Jesus. And when we say no to the devil's temptations, we're winning. Pastor John MacArthur says, Christians engage in spiritual warfare by bringing to light the truth of the gospel and the biblical worldview. We are called to resist Satan by living faithful righteous lives and by teaching the truth of god's word you want to fight satan show up to church be with other christians 
say and speak with them the truth, right? Amen. Amen. Now, we're not done yet. Because we say meeting together is an expression of love. It's an act of resistance to Satan and in a belief in God's ability to reward us. Third, we are compelled to have church face-to-face because rewards from Christ compel us. Rewards from Christ. He will give us rewards. Verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. These rewards from Christ compel us. Paul explains with the word for. That that word for at the beginning of verse 19 is his reason for having this strong desire. Why does he so badly want to be with them? Yes, he loves them, but there's something specific about this relationship. He longed to be with them, not out of some obligation or because of guilt, because he, was so, he feels, felt so bad he left them. He longs to be with them because of joy, hope, and the exaltation that being with them would create in his own heart. It was not selfish. Sometimes we get this wrong. We're like, well, I, the only way for me to truly love someone is if I want to go with them and not get in anything. And yet it's good when you're with someone who you love to feel joy. To be joyful with them and to be joyful of the relationship. That's okay. We're, we're not aesthetics. Like any good feeling is bad. No. Paul instead calls them his hope, joy, and crown. Look, look at that preposition. In that in your Bible, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? This is key. The preposition before describes the joy, hope, and crown. It's in the presence of Jesus. See, he's not just thinking, when I see you, he's thinking far beyond that. He's thinking the day when Christ returns to judge his people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. For the Christian, that, that's a great time of joy where he, God gives us rewards for the good deeds that he laid out for us to do. He's like, I made it easy for you. Here it is. And you know what? I'm going to bless you for doing them. And so the question is, what does Jesus value? Like, what does Jesus value enough to give rewards for? What does he want us to do? What will he commend? What will he say, well done, good and faithful servant to? And he says, hope. Hope is the desire of something good with expectation that you'll actually get it. It's not just like, oh, I wish it would happen. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to get this. And Paul has hope. According to chapter 3, verse 5, he says, there was, I sent 
to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. See, Paul had a little bit of fear that perhaps when he left, Satan came in and destroyed the church. But more importantly, he had hope that that would not be the case, that the church would be thriving. And he got this great satisfaction in hearing they were doing well. Joy is that happiness. Happiness we all get when we see our children succeed at something or someone you love do well. And you just get this just encouragement inside you. He saw his spiritual children doing well in the faith. And the crown refers to the crown of victory. It was placed on military heads as they would come in to uh, in just glorious battle and they'd come into the city and they, the leader would honor them by putting a crown on their head. But it was also used in athletic games like the Olympics where you would win and you would get the wreath of a victor put onto your head throughout the Greco-Roman world. And this was the idea. You see, he says, it was also a reward and honor. But notice, again, look, look down in your Bibles. He doesn't say he will be given a crown or joy or hope. But he says, what are they? Is it not you? They are his crown. They are his hope. They are his joy. Paul is being very personal here, right? It's not the number of churches, Paul. He was an itinerant preacher. He went from church to church. He didn't talk about, oh, here's how many numbers of churches I've preached at. Or here's the number of churches that I have planted. He doesn't give a baptism count. Here's how many people I've baptized. Here's how much money I brought in. What he's thinking of is specific names. You, personally, the individuals. That is what he cares about. At the time of judgment, when Christ would stand and all the books would be open of every good thing, and he would burn away all the bad in Paul's life, Paul wanted to hear, well done and good servant. And he wanted to be found as a good steward. And that good stewardship would come and the people. Rewards from Christ are often the people he gives in our lives. I, as someone graduates, you often go through a lot of just honors and people talk about them. Oh, here's what this person did with this height, with this uh, accomplishment. They wrote this thing. And in seminaries, it's no different. Uh, people who get high degrees, who have high GPA, get a gold tassel put around them. I remember it was at one of these seminary graduations, and one guy walks up and is like, hey, brother, where's your gold tassel? And the other guy looks and smiles at him, and he's like, you're my gold tassel. The fact that you're graduating, was, this man was his pastor, so I, I guess I should say, he goes up and goes, pastor, where's your gold tassel? And he's like, you're my gold tassel. I'm graduating the same time you are because I helped you get through. I am so proud of you. People are it. Christ's rewards to us are the people that we have blessed. Dennis and Terry are here, a great example of this, not to embarrass you guys. But I remember like the first words, I saw Terry, she was here on Wednesday, and the first words coming out of her mouth were like, we've been praying for you. And doubly on Wednesday nights, because we know you teach the Wednesday night class. And I was like, thank you, that's needed. And we all heard yesterday about how much Dennis just loves this church and is happy to be with us again. 
And what a blessing it is for him to know that the church is continuing on. The gospel is still being preached. People are still being ministered to. And some of you don't even know him because other people in the church have ministered to you and brought you in. What a blessing. How about us? We need to have an eternal view of things, don't we? Not, not, not just what's going to matter for my family or my life. Not just what's my 10-year plan. But what is my eternal life plan? Our crown will not be how much money we have how many hours we work, how many products we've created, how big a house we lived in, though I understand it's tight sometimes, right? Your neighbor is your treasure. Your sibling is your joy. And your service will shape your reward with other people. See, I I think this helps us understand when Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10, 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Matthew ten forty two, And it's interesting because Jesus is talking about like this idea, like, okay, he, he's, if you give a cup of cold water to a believer, this is a believer specifically, that you will receive a reward. How does that work? Am I being blessed with it? And and there's many ways it could be. But perhaps one way is that that mere cup of water to a thirsty believer helps expand their ability to worship the living God in thankfulness. Because they can say to God, thank you for this person who has loved me. And you know what? God, in his sovereign control, will see that person bear fruit in 10,000 years of love for God and love for others. Your love for others is not just for church. I do want to say, like, I think this is really good. Like, we want to be able to say we, we show up at church because by serving one another, by loving one another, we are encouraging each other. We're helping each other grow and understand Jesus a little bit more, our stories, our prayer requests, our desires. Even that you stop in and you just let you know, I'm praying for you. Or give me an update. How's it going? Those comments, those help people grow in their faith. And God uses that. But every job can be that. Can it not? I don't care if you are punching papers. The way that you do that job can be used to show someone else God's love. Moms caring for their children, cleaning up diapers and disciplining them and trying to teach them things. Teachers going over a program again, especially those of you who teach adults and have to like, all right, here we go. I want you to click on this technology again. This is how you do Zoom, okay? Uh, Everyone has to learn it. And it's just repetitive and slow. And yet our investment in people is what matters. We have to get it into our hearts and believe enough to act on it that people are the reward, not what people can do. You know the difference? Like, it's the people themselves who are the reward, not what the people can do, because people are often frustrating. God's work in people is our reward. The uh, poet, Lynn manuel Miranda, 
made the famous uh, musical Hamilton that a lot of people have been talking about. I, if, I do suggest if it's great, it's interesting history, but listen to the edited version, okay? Don't, don't listen to the real thing. But in there, he talks about just some of the hubris of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers, the writer, like one of the principal writers of the Constitution. And he talks about him. He says, God, help and forgive me. I want to build something that's going to outlive me. And I think that exists in the hearts of so many people. I want to build something that will last longer than me. You know what lasts forever? Souls. And that was Paul's focus. Now, if you're following along, we've seen why we need to be together for church. A righteous love for others means we want to be together. The fight to resist Satan compels us to be together. And the rewards that Christ promises is the people that we gather with. Brothers and sisters, we do not worship a pixelated Savior, do we? Nor did he redeem a pixelated people. He came in flesh. In chapter 3, we will see how technology... I keep saying this because I don't want to just... Have anyone go against me? Technology can be a gift, but it's never meant to be a replacement. And it is possible, thank God, to love from a distance, isn't it? Like, especially as you have dearly loved ones who are in different places in love. That is possible, and I don't want to diminish that. And yet it's nowhere near the same. Imagine two lovers are parted by war, forced to write letters to one another. It's happening in Ukraine right now. Is Men are told you're not allowed to leave the country, you need to stay and fight. And others have to go, their wives and their daughters are leaving. And they write letters back and forth, they send text messages. Maybe even today they, they, they're Zooming, right? And could you imagine the war comes to an end, peace is restored, they're able to go and they're like, you know what, let's just keep writing to each other. Let's just stay, keep Zooming, like this is good enough, right? No! There are some things that Zoom cannot replace. And that is the church. We need to be together. I would encourage you, even now, when we finish up, encourage one another, pray for one another, and help one another. Let me pray, and we'll uh, go and eat together. Lord God, allow us to love each other, looking to you for reward, because you are worthy of all this. To the praise of your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>